Well, thank you for joining us this morning. I remember in my early 20s when I fully accepted Christ for what was probably the last time. I prayed the prayer lots and lots of times growing up when I was a child and through my teenage years of accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'd been baptized at the age of 16. But there's something about this moment where I accepted Jesus in my early 20s that was different. And it was this, this moment where it was just me and Christ. And I remember it really clearly. I was at a, a convention and, and I had this image in my mind of Jesus dying for me. And, and it was just him and me. There wasn't crowds around us. It wasn't that Jesus died for all humankind. Jesus died for me. And, and in that moment, I... I went from any sense of inherited faith, any faith that I've gotten from my family, from tradition, from routine, from, from going through the rhythms of life, and I actually owned my faith. And in that moment of accepting Jesus, nothing else mattered. It didn't matter what I was doing for work or what I was studying or the relationships with people around me. It didn't matter what the state of the world was or politics or anything like that. It, it was just... Jesus and me. And I believe more than ever, when things get tough, we need to actually recapture those moments in our life. I believe more, now more than ever in our church and within our, in our world, we need to focus back on Christ as a community. I think we need to focus in on Jesus. I think we need that clarity of thought that nothing else in this world matters. Not, not the state of the world, not isolation, not politics, not ideas or thoughts, not relationships, not work, not finances. The only thing that matters is our relationship with Christ. And because of that, as a church, we are going to do just that. We're going to focus on Jesus. And so today we start a four-week series, uh, a six-week series on the Gospel of John. And so before we dive in, I want to say that if you are finding that your thoughts are all over the place, if you are fearful, if you're afraid, if you're scattered, if you're anxious, if you have deep worries and concerns, if your thoughts are, are all over the place, your rhythms and habits are out of whack, then to focus in on Jesus is a great thing. And so I want to say this series may be for you, but also this series may be for your neighbor or for another Christian friend, or maybe for somebody that doesn't know Christ. Either way, we're going to journey together towards Christ for us and for those around us as a church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray as we open up Scripture today, as we journey as a church to understand just deeper and more intentionally with more depth of who you are, we pray that we would be able to focus on you and in doing so, Lord, the things around us would fall away and that we would have clarity of purpose, clarity of identity and a clarity of meaning in this world. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm really excited about this series because while we are separated, physically we can actually journey through this series together. And unlike anything we've done before as a church, that the staff have been working incredibly hard to facilitate that. And so you can tune in on Sundays to hear the messages as we, we work our way through uh, some of the main parts of the book of John. 
And you can also download the study notes that, that accompany the message each and every week, as we always have been able to do. But more than that, we actually want to study the book as a church. And so we have a reading plan that is designed to help us each and every day for the next six weeks open up Scripture and journey through the book of John. More than that, if you struggle to, list, to, to read, then you can actually listen to the book of John as some of the staff have recorded their, the, the readings for us and we can click play and just listen and sit in that space of hearing John's word read out to us. There's also some social media groups that you can connect with to wrestle through some of the topics. And if you've never wrestled through a book such as this, I'd encourage you to tune in at 6 o'clock to watch the panel as they start to go deeper into the, the things and the applications that come out of studying the gospel. It's going to be a fun six weeks. It's going to be an intense six weeks. I know churches that have studied John for months and months and months. There's a lot in it. Obviously, we can't do it all, but we're going to dive in right now. So if you are new to faith, if you're looking for faith and you're discovering, or maybe you are a Christian, this book is fantastic for you. It's, it's a gospel. What is a gospel? Well, a gospel tells us about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there are three gospels that are before the book of John, and we believe that those three gospels were began with the book of Mark, then Matthew and Luke were written using Mark as sort of the, the central point. We know that because Mark contains a lot of the writings that are used in Matthew and in Luke. So because those three books copy each other, they're very similar, and the word known for that, a loose translation, is synoptic. A loose translation is similar. And so they, they copy each other, but each gospel is written to a different audience. And so much later than those three Gospels came the Gospel of John, written afterwards because the author of John thought, well, yes, that's Jesus. They're written to different audience and it's all about Jesus, but I want to tell a different story about Jesus. It's the same Jesus, it's the same stories, it's the same life, death, resurrection, but I want to tell it in a different way. And so John set out to, to write masterfully this book that we are about to study. Now, John was, there's a bit of discrepancy. Was it um, John, son of Zebedee, or was it John the Elder that's referenced later in Scripture? Well, we're not really sure. What we know is that it's not John the Baptist. It's John the follower of Jesus, and he refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. We know that the writing style in the book of John is very similar to the, the writing style of, of the book of Revelation, which John also wrote. So we believe it's the same author of both books. And, and John doesn't hold back from sharing why he wrote the book. He actually says in John 20 verse 31, But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The reason for the book of John is to point that Jesus is the Messiah, and that you may have life, and life in Jesus' name. That's the reason. And so if you are searching for faith, if you're, you're looking for purpose in life, well, this is a great book to study with us. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you just need that clarity that nothing else matters. Maybe you've still got some inherited faith 
sitting underneath the surface because you've always gone to church. It's what your parents made you do. It's the tradition. It's the culture. Well, this is a great book to study. Maybe you know somebody that needs to draw closer to Jesus. It's a great book to study. And so we start our six-week journey in the book of John. The book of John is made up of six parts, and each of those parts have many, many stories. The, the, the book is broken up to, into an introduction, and John doesn't pull any punches. He goes straight into it. So unlike other Gospels, John doesn't talk about Jesus' birth um, in the traditional way. He just dives into it in a very different approach. And in the first chapter, he's got Jesus in action. Jesus is already doing what he's doing. He doesn't stretch it out and tell stories of angels and prophecies and things. He just goes straight into it. There is some fulfillment of prophecy, but he's straight into action. In, in one chapter, he summarizes almost three or four chapters of some of the other Gospels. He then spends some time talking about the, the signs and some of the feasts, but also some of the controversies that take place as Jesus reveals the true meaning of some of the Old Testament. Some of the laws that were passed down had sort of been a bit corrupted in their purpose, and Jesus corrects some of those and causes some controversy as he lives a life of love and acceptance of people but points them to God every step of the way. He also engages with some of the feasts and the origins of those feasts and what they were birthed out of and how he aligned them with the reason that they were, were birthed as a celebration. The tipping point in the book of John is actually the story of Lazarus. Those that have grown up in the church know that Lazarus was raised from the dead. Bit of a spoiler alert there. And, and if you've never read the story of Lazarus through the filter of the book of John, it's not just about Lazarus. Jesus' actions and engaging with Lazarus and his sisters is so incredible. And if you've never read it through the filter of John, I promise you it will change the way that you read the story of Lazarus forever. Incredibly powerful. And we'll be journeying through that on Father's Day. We then go into Jesus' final words uh, as he shares the hope for humankind and shows God's plan to others. And then he lives that out through his death, but also his resurrection. And then the book of John finishes with an epilogue, so the conclusion to the book and pointing people to the reason Jesus came once again. And so these six areas, these six parts broken out of the 21 chapters in John, we are going to study for the next six weeks. Now, there's a lot in it, so I encourage everyone to study each and every day with a reading plan, and each Sunday we're going to give you maybe some of the highlights of those main parts, but also help us on a journey towards who God wants us to be. That's the overview. Let's dive in. John chapter 1, verse 1 to maybe 3 or 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing that was made, that, that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Verse 5, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We see John intentionally refers to creation and fast-tracks Jesus' entry into earth. doesn't talk about his birth, but says, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. 
in the beginning, God created. And God spoke, and from His words, He created. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And God spoke, and through His words, light shone into the darkness. And there was day and there was night. God created time. God created the the light that, that lights up the universe, but also God created light that lights up the darkness within the world. And the light that was spoken in Genesis is the same light that he was sent through Jesus, through God's son, Jesus, into the world. And it shines in the darkness of the world and it cannot be extinguished. We, we see these parallels. And I know there's, there's some people that, that wrestle with the idea of God being three in one, fully God and fully human. And John speaks into that. He speaks into it so clearly that, that, that God sent his son, but God was also in his son. Jesus was the three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see it time and time again. When God created the waters, the Spirit hovered over the waters. We see that Holy Spirit is there in Genesis. We see that, that here, that, that when God became flesh, we see that the light was sent down. We see when Jesus was baptized, we see Jesus comes out of the water and the Father's voice speaks, but the Holy Spirit descends in, in the form of, or in the image of a dove and sits upon him, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in one, all together. Jesus, in, in the book of John, is fully God and fully man. Fully God in that in John chapter 2, he's able to turn water into wine. People cannot do that. We don't have the ability, and it's not just superficial color toys and, and you know, adding some dye. It is the best wine. It is the best wine they've ever had. It's, it's something supernatural, fully God. But then in, in John chapter 4, Jesus is tired and weary and he, he reclines next to a well and sits down. He's exhausted, fully human. And the reason that he had to be fully human is that so we could understand what it is to, to have a relationship with him. He could empathize with us. He knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to be tired. He knew what it was to have his friends reject him when he needed them the most. He knew what it was to have his friends fall asleep when he was asking something simple for them. He knew what it was to wrestle. He knew what it was to sacrifice his desires for his father's desires. He was fully human. And the only reason that he could go to the cross in our place was that he was fully human and he experienced what we could experience and he took our consequence. We read in John chapter 14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus came and he can empathize with what you're going through. He understands your struggles. He understands your pain. But he also understands your joy. He understands what it is to, to celebrate with others that are celebrating. He knows what it is to joke and to laugh and to have life to the full. But he also knows what it is to grieve, to cry, to feel pain, to feel suffering. Yet, he continues to live his life when he was on earth in a way that, that pointed people to God and ultimately gave his life for us that we'll get to later in the series so that we could have a relationship with God unhindered. The book of John then talks about John the Baptist who speaks about Jesus and Jesus' baptism. 
in a bit of a different way. It's from John's account, John the Baptist's account, saying this is fulfilling the prophecies of what we saw. Unlike the other Gospels that Jesus then, uh, they tell the story of Jesus being led into the wilderness where he's tested. John fast-tracks that and goes, Jesus is baptized and he calls his disciples. He calls them. He calls his group of followers. He he calls the, the ones that he's going to train up. And so Jesus has been baptized and, and John's telling about this story. And we, we fast track a little bit and we get to John chapter 40. And it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one who heard what John was saying about Jesus being baptized. And who would follow Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. So they were looking. The first part of finding Jesus is to be looking for him to have a realization that we need to find this person, the Messiah, that is the Christ. Verse 42, and then they, they brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and it said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. The word Cephas, in translated into its, its other words, is, is the word stone. Or the word rock. He translated one of his first disciples into the word rock. I need you to be solid. I need you to, to, to get this. I need you to be a foundation stone. I need you to, to be the, the, the part that people can lean on and stand on that's unswervingly and, and unwaveringly and able to be, be solid in the midst of, of things that are going crazy. And we know later on that, that Peter failed he, he denied Jesus three times, and, and it, we all do. We're human. But Jesus reinstates Peter and says, Hey, you've got to get this. I want to build my church upon people that are solid, people that are rocks, people that, that, that are fixed on me and living for me. And we know that Peter does that from that point onwards. And so Peter's looking for Jesus, and he finds him. We also see that before we go to the very next verse, we've got to understand a little bit about what, well, what's going on. Why are people following Jesus like this? What, what's, what's happening in the culture of the time? And so we, we see what takes place is in a society that is very patriarchal. It's very male-dominated. And men had roles and, and women had roles. But the male roles often had the, the leadership levels within the culture. And so what would take place is if you were a Jewish boy of the age of five, you would go to school. You would go to school at the temple and you would be trained up in the way that they taught you was with God's word. And what they had then was known as the Torah, the first five books or the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. And you would study the Torah from the age of five to the age of 13, where your bar mitzvah took place, which is the coming of age ritual and rites. And so for those years of study, you would spend just meditating day and night, learning how to read, learning how to write, just spending it in the, the Old Testament. And then your equivalent of the VCE exams, HSC or whatever they're called nowadays, of doing your study and, and going towards your graduation into to the next part of your life meant that you had to choose a rabbi to follow. 
Now, each rabbi had their own understanding of the Old Testament, of this Torah. They had their, their interpretation of what these words meant and how they were to be lived out. And they would argue these. Now, that the rabbi's understanding of the Torah was known as the, the yoke of the Torah. The yoke being their interpretation, their understanding. And the yoke of the Torah that they carried, they would then share with others. That was their burden to carry. So they would share their understanding of the Old Testament and share that with those around them. They would be the advocates. They would live it out, the yoke of the Torah. And each rabbi had a different yoke. Now, rabbis were a fairly elite group. It was like the best of the best of the best. Now, the point zero ones of society begot, became rabbis. And so you would have all these 13-year-olds choosing the rabbis that they liked the way that they interpreted Scripture, and then they would go and sit their test. Now, 99.99 didn't make the cut, and they would sit the test, and the rabbi would go, I don't think you understand this well enough. I don't think we we work together. I don't think you're going to be my ambassador for this understanding, this yoke, this version of Scripture, this understanding of Scripture that I'm living and sharing with others. Therefore, you didn't make the cut. You only got to sit one exam. There's no retake. And if you didn't make the cut, you went back and lived out the family trade, which most people did. So what do we see when Jesus chooses his disciples is that he chooses people that had already failed their exam. What happens then is Jesus walks up and, and we see in, very, in verse 43, the very next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, Jesus said to him, these words that every child, every 13-year-old longed to hear because when a rabbi chose someone, they said these words, follow me. And Jesus says, finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip hadn't looked for Jesus, Jesus found him. While Peter was searching for the Messiah, Jesus came to Philip and said, follow me. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that, yes, there's a yoke of the Torah, but there's also the yoke of the rabbi. The word follow me sometimes loses some of its emphasis in the translation because to to follow wasn't just to sit behind and, and follow. The yoke of the rabbi meant that his understanding of Scripture, his way of living that out, his way of sharing that with others, his way of problem-solving the concerns of those around him within the, the role of the rabbi at the time would be, be just immersing those around him in that space. If you were a follower of that rabbi, especially if the rabbi had chosen you as a 13-year-old to follow him, you would live with the rabbi. You would sleep with the rabbi. You'd, you'd be in the, the, the rabbi's umbrella, in his household, under his, his care and his governance. You would, you would do what the, the rabbi does. You, you would live the way the rabbi lived. You'd, you'd be under the rabbi's care, that you would understand and become that the way that he taught, you would live and teach the same thing. In essence, you would have become a mirror image of that rabbi. That's what it was to take on the yoke of the rabbi. And so what do we see? We see that Jesus walks up to somebody that's failed the test, has gone back to living the, the life of 
doing the, the family business. And, and Jesus says these incredible words, follow me, become like me, do what I do, be like I am, live under the same mission and conviction that I have. It goes on with Philip for a little bit and then they reach a guy called Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's sitting under a tree and he goes, oh yeah, who's this guy Jesus? What does he know? What's going on? And, and Jesus goes to him and says, hey, when, when did you see me? And Jesus goes, well, I saw you when you're under the tree. He's like, there's no way. You came from, how would you know that I was under a tree? There's no way, there's no human way that you could know that I was under a tree. It must be a supernatural thing. It must be something so beyond anything I can understand. Verse 50 says, Yet look, you believe because I told you that you're under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. You believe just because of something simple like that. There is so much more. You're believing in me because of something simple. I have far greater things. Heaven's going to open up. You're going to see some amazing things if you follow me. Don't believe because of that. I want you to believe because there is far greater in store for your life than what you've experienced so far. Today I want to ask us a couple of questions. The first one is, why do you believe? Why do you believe? For some of us, we we believe because our mum and dad told us to and, and we've been living under that our entire lives. For some of us, we believe because it's, that, it's just what we do. You go to church because that's what good people do. You go to church. I just, yeah, that's what I believe. I believe I'm a good person, so I do that. I believe if I'm a good person, I should go to heaven. Is that what you believe? I believe because I was told to do it. I believe because it's what everybody else is doing. I believe because... I accepted Jesus Christ. Maybe you're on a journey and said, well, maybe I don't quite believe yet. I'm, I'm heading towards that and I'm not quite sure. And if that's you, I'm going to get you to, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. I want to say that the same words that Jesus says to, to Nathaniel, the same words that he wants to say us today, he says, you believe because of what you've experienced so far, but there is greater in store for you. There is greater in store for me. There is so much more. Like I said, as a 20-year-old, I gave my life to Christ and it was radically different to the time I gave my my life to Christ every night as a young teenager because I just wanted to be safe. I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to be sure. So every night I'd give my life to Christ. It was radically different. It was so personal. It was me and God and nothing else mattered. And since there, I've experienced so much more. I know God even wants me to experience more, and he wants exactly the same for you. There is more in store with your relationship for Christ because we can't contain the light of the world. The light of the world shines into the darkness, and it will always overcome the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome it, and there's far more. The more that we align our lives with Christ, the more that we see his glory revealed to us. Why do you believe? The second question for us is even harder because maybe we do believe. Maybe we've been living a life and coming to church and doing the things forever, but we've never fully understood what it is to take on Jesus' yoke and follow him. And so the next question is, will you follow? Will you follow Jesus? Will you follow him? 
for some that are, that are watching this, maybe you've never made that decision. And if that's you, I'm going to get you to pray a prayer in just a moment. If you choose to follow, if you choose the light, if you choose to understand what it is to live in the light of Christ's love. For others of us, it's, it's like, yes, I've accepted Jesus, but I never thought that I had to become like him. I just accepted that I'm saved. I didn't realize I had to, to do an action. I didn't realize there was a requirement on me to do anything. And I want to say, if we choose to follow Jesus, we need to live the lives that the disciples lived out. We need to live Jesus' life himself. If, if Jesus surrounded himself with people that he was raising up in the faith, we need to be doing the same. If, if Jesus was sharing what he knew about God's word with those around him, we need to be sharing God's word with those that are around us. If Jesus spent time with his heavenly Father saying, not my will, but yours be done, we need to be spending one-on-one -on -one time with our heavenly Father praying the same things for our our lives. If Jesus restored people in their relationship with a loving God, we need to be sharing the, the gospel of Jesus Christ with people that are around us. We need to be living the way that Jesus lived, loving the way that Jesus loved. Will you follow? I want to say that, that if you haven't accepted Jesus and you want to, I want you to know that that as soon as you search for him, as Peter did, he's there. Because as we, as we saw that Jesus went and chose his disciples, he's looking for you. He's come to you. He is ready for you. He has called you. He's saying the words, follow me. Do you accept? If you do accept, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I accept Jesus as the Lord of my life. May I follow him and become like him. I accept his spirit into my heart and ask that he will guide me from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, can I encourage you to get in contact with the church? We'd love to give you a Bible. and We'd love to follow you up. For the rest of us, Will we take on the challenge to follow, to become disciples, to become followers of Jesus Christ, and to take the journey of going through the book of John to see what that looks like? It's probably about 12 verses out of the book of John just there. Um, if you ever thought that John, it's a gospel, it's pretty light. It's not light. Um, John Piper said, you're kidding yourself if you think that reading the, the Gospel of John isn't meat when it comes to your spiritual journey. And so I want to take, uh, offer the invitation to take on the challenge to read as a church together this Gospel as we head towards being the men and women that God has called us to be. Thank you.